Welcome to Thunder Off Script, a podcast for lovers of freedom. In today's episode, we're going to discuss Austria's plan to make COVID vaccine legally mandatory, the international response to the so-called Omicron variant discovered in South Africa, and how to push back against the dominant COVID narrative in a hostile climate. Let's begin by taking a look at this decision by Austria, the Austrian government, to make COVID vaccines legally mandatory as of 1st of February 2022. Now, the science behind the vaccines and the potential adverse effects of vaccines, whether or not they are actually effective, to what extent they actually block transmission, these are all very interesting and important debates. But uh, to save some time and also to go to the nub of the issue here, I'm just going to skip the scientific part of this debate and go straight to the ethics. The ethical issue is clear. You cannot coerce somebody into receiving a medical treatment. Imposing a medical treatment upon someone against their will is a clear violation of their freedom and autonomy as a human being, their reasonable autonomy as a human being. This is a principle, the principle of informed consent to medical treatment that is recognized already in international law and is a standard part of medical ethics. And yet this principle is being jettisoned every day um, in many different countries across the world, and particularly across the Western world, which I find especially shocking uh, because of our tradition of constitutionalism and personal freedom. What Austria is basically saying is that it will completely disregard the right to informed consent and it will literally coerce its citizens systematically into accepting the injection of this particular vaccine into their bodies. What will the consequence be for Austrians who do not uh, vaccinate? Probably they will be subject to um, a fine, a monetary fine. Um, will they go to prison? For now, there's an, it seems that they won't go to prison. But there is a kind of persecution going on of those who, who, take, uh, who take a different view of the vaccine or who decide, for whatever reason, not to vaccinate. Now, let's turn to a question from one of my readers, Josh. And he asks the question, he, this is what he says, I want to pay to put something in a local newspaper referencing your recent substack and the concept of liberal individualism versus illiberal collectivism, but expect pushback or outright refusal to go against the government narrative. What is the best approach here? To try and get people thinking critically without being seen as a troublemaker. In a sense, this is a problem that I would say many of us who are skeptical of the mainstream COVID narrative or many aspects of it face on a, on a, daily, on a daily basis. 
we try to speak the truth. We try to uh, expose the facts um, surrounding COVID-19. We raise questions, legitimate questions, about the standard narrative that has led to lockdowns and very heavy-handed interventions in our social fabric. And we are confronted with a wave of prejudice and ridicule. Uh, we are accused of being negationists or denialists. We are accused of being anti-science. We are accused of being unintelligent. And how to respond to this kind of hostile environment? I would say just to keep holding the line, keep speaking the truth, keep presenting evidence, try to be patient, try to be civil. Because I do believe that over time, the truth will win out in this debate. Over time, the evidence that we have been presenting for the past year, for more than a year, will finally come to light in the public domain um, and be taken seriously. It's already in the public domain, but um, there's such a level of censorship and filtering going on that a lot of this relevant evidence, whether it be about the efficacy of lockdowns or the adverse events associated with vaccination campaigns, all of this evidence will eventually make it into the public sphere. And in the meantime, I think that it's incumbent upon us to speak the truth and to hold the line uh, no matter what, um, because the fight that we're in is not just any daily fight. It's a long-term battle for our liberties. It's a long-term battle for our way of life, which is essentially a way of life in which we respect individual liberty, a way of life in which we permit social cooperation among free persons, because we believe in the potential of human beings to achieve great things by cooperating with each other freely. And um, we do not believe that hyper-centralized coercive control of social life is the best way to organize um, our, our society. Let's now turn to what we know about the so-called Omicron variant, which has just made into the news because of a recent discovery by Dr. Angelique Coetze in South Africa. This doctor alerted authorities to the, this particular variant when she identified anomalous symptoms in her patients who tested positive for SARS-CoV-2. Let's have a listen to what she has to say. What we are seeing clinically in South Africa, and, and remember I'm at the epicenter, uh, uh, that's where I'm practicing, is extremely mild. For us, that's mild cases. Um, we haven't admitted anyone. I spoke to other colleagues of mine, the same picture. Now, what are the facts surrounding 
the Omicron variant of SARS-CoV-2. First, as we've seen, Dr. Angelique Coetze of South Africa identified anomalous symptoms in some of her patients that were milder than the symptoms she was accustomed to seeing in her SARS-2 patients, in her COVID-19 patients. WHO states that we have insufficient evidence to determine whether this variant is either more transmissible or more severe than other variants of SARS-CoV-2. The UK, USA and Israel have responded by restricting international travel from South Africa. Specifically, the United Kingdom has now decided that um, in, incoming international travellers should undertake a PCR test um, after two days of being in the country or on the second day of being in the country. National authorities have taken advantage of the evolutionary character of this virus. The fact, just like any other virus, it goes through a large number of mutations. That is how it behaves. That is how it lives, so to speak. That is the way in which it behaves. And they have used this fact about the virus, the fact that it does in fact mutate, to raise alarm every time a new variant comes on the scene. And to use the evolutionary character of this, this virus as an excuse to raise alarm among the population and to justify a continual state of emergency. What is striking about this recent turn of events is the fact that the, the doctor who initially revealed this new variant says herself that the cases she encountered, encountered were significantly milder than the usual cases of the Delta variant, suggesting that the virus is maybe actually becoming less virulent continuing a trend that we'd seen already. What is striking about the international response is that we don't actually have good data to show that this virus is now more transmissible, and we certainly don't have good data to show that it's more lethal or virulent than the Delta variant. So it would appear that the principal driving international reaction, the international reaction to this virus, is basically just in case it might be a bad variant, let's bring masks back in, let's bring in restrictions on international travel. This is normally justified by the precautionary principle. But the problem is that the precautionary principle has become a kind of excuse for imposing restrictions just in case a hypothetical scenario emerges. But with that kind of logic, we would have to be imposing restrictions constantly all the time because new, emer new variants are emerging all the time. So instead of waiting until we have actionable information about a real imminent threat, we simply notice that a new variant has emerged 
that is a variant that is perhaps worrying some scientists, but a variant that we have no solid information on in terms of its um, potential to become more lethal or more transmissible. And with that highly abstract, hypothetical information, unverified information about the variant, we go ahead and we start to think about introducing mandatory hotel quarantines, um, onerous PCR testing for international travelers, um, and, and so forth. The real reason I believe that this variant has caused such a strong reaction is that it was seen by governments, well, this is slightly speculative, but I think it's plausible, it was seen by governments as the perfect excuse to ramp up restrictions again and to renew the sense that we're in a COVID emergency. Because, frankly, I think that if this emergency were to pass and citizens were to go back to their normal life and to lose the fear that has been inculcated in them, then governments would be extremely exposed to public criticism for all of the disastrous consequences of their incompetent behaviour over the past year and a half. If citizens are freed from the excessive fear that's been instilled in them by public authorities, then they will be emboldened to take a closer look at what their governments have done to them and to their society and to speak back and to speak out against what their governments have done, to criticise them and to punish them electorally as well. Governments don't want that. So the opportunity, uh, basically I'd say that a new variant presents a political opportunity to, to renew the sense of public panic and fear and anxiety and thus maintain control over the population. Otherwise, it's difficult to explain why suddenly this new variant would justify these heavy restrictions. Well, that's all for today. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again very soon.